And uh, we are uh, in this mode of the people have asked for a king, God's going to give them a king, and Samuel, who does not prefer this arrangement, is the one who's going to uh, be used by God to indicate who the king will be. So, 1 Samuel chapter 9, would somebody read 1 to 14? <coughs> Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the servants and arise, go search for the donkeys. He passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, but they did not but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come and let us return, or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. He said to him, Behold, now there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor, and all that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread has gone from our sack, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the slope to the city, they found young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered and said, He is. See, he is ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today, for the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, as soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for you will find him at once. So they went up to the city, and as they came into the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. Well, look who got this. It's the kind of man they were looking for as a king. What were his outstanding characteristics? He was tall. That seems to have been his number one claim to fame. He was tall. I don't know if this is still true, but there was a time earlier in my life where for the last number of elections, the taller of the two candidates won. You know, uh, there's a lot to appearance in terms of who we want to make our king, who we want to follow and submit to and things like that. And so he was tall. Now he had a few other characteristics that were important. What were they? Good it was good looking. And? 
mighty man of battle. Yes. So here's a man who he ought to be good at leading you in battle. You know, tall, good-looking, man of valor. This is the kind of king that they were looking for. God's just giving them what they're wanting. So this is the kind of king he provides for them. Now, um, it's kind of interesting how it comes about that Saul finds out he's going to become the king. It doesn't come with God telling him, hey, listen, go here and I'm going to make you king or something like that. Instead, uh, he sets out on a journey to do what? He's got, his father has some lost donkeys and he's looking for them. So a search for donkeys leads to Saul finding a kingdom. Um, and he couldn't find them. Temporarily, he hasn't been able to find him just as later. They will temporarily not be able to find Saul himself. And uh, so he's ready to go back home. He's kind of worried that his father would be more worried about him not being home than the donkeys that are lost. And what happens? Do they go back home? No. Why not? One of the servants mentioned that Samuel's in the yeah, there's this prophet, and you know, maybe he could tell us where they are, and we need to go there. And well, what's Saul's objection to that? Well, what am I going to pay him? And well, servant's got a little bit, so they're going to go. Now, I don't know what's your initial impression of Saul, besides the fact that he's tall, but you know, intellectually and spiritually, and I don't know. What do you think about? It? too impressed. Couldn't even find a few large animals that ultimately returned back home without his assistance. <laughs> he doesn't seem to know anything about Samuel despite the fact that Samuel is close by. He, he doesn't seem to even think about maybe you know asking for a prophet to help him find the animals. And he thinks you've got to pay him to do something for you. So it, it looks to me like he's just not real with it when it comes to uh, spiritual things like this. But uh, they go up to this city and they find some young women and uh, they're going to draw water. They say, is the seer here? Seer means a prophet. And they said, oh yeah, uh, the people have a sacrifice on the high place today and they can't offer the sacrifice until Samuel comes to bless it. So if you hurry, you'll come to him before he goes up to bless that sacrifice. You might remember that point for later on that the people cannot offer the sacrifice until Samuel comes to bless it. That will come in important in a later part of the story a few chapters from now. All right, comments and questions about this part, Alex. Uh, I had a question. Uh, a lot in the older or in the later kingdom, when we see all these kings, we see the corruption, we see the idolatry, we see the high places that are mentioned a lot. Is this in connection with that at all? That's a great question. Here's my answer. Uh, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 12, try saying that really fast. Um, God said he would choose a place for his name to dwell in that new land that they were going into. And when he cho chose that one place, then that automatically ruled out offering sacrifices in any other place. However, God did not choose that place immediately when they entered the land. That place ultimately was Jerusalem. And once Jerusalem was set up, 
with the te temple there and all that, then sacrificing on the high places, even to God, was prohibited because it was not the one place God had chosen. Prior to that time, it looks to me like the people were able to sacrifice to God on high places without there being any hint of condemnation for that. You'll see Samuel doing that from time to time. So as far as I can see, it's only after Jerusalem is chosen in the reign of David when the, uh, sacrificing on the high places was forbidden. It's an excellent question. Anybody want to offer a rejoinder on that? Uh, I think that's true. I don't know that I've heard a lot of discussion about that. Anything else you want to say about these first 14 verses? Jamie. It seems to me we've, we've covered so much history in these eight chapters and just spends a lot of time telling a story about him wandering around looking for the animals and this and that. Uh, it seems pretty purposeful. And so I think that we're supposed to pick up on a lot of things about Saul from this, that he just kind of looks incompetent and unspiritual. And I think that But he's tall! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Are we like this? I mean, this whole idea of we judge things on the appearance and not on the, the deeper content. I, I wonder if there's not a lesson in that, particularly when we come to chapter 16 later on and they're looking for a king to replace him. Chris? Neither Saul nor the servant were aware of the sacrifice that was going on. I don't know if it was a nation, you know, area-wide or whatever, but so he wasn't involved in that type of activity. Yeah, and it strikes me that he probably wasn't normally. We'll see somewhat later on where he, he makes his first altar. And it seems rather late in his career when other people of God seem to build <laughs> altars frequently and early on. So, yeah, I don't see Saul as a man who's really that connected with the things of God. One thing I, I do think it might be important, though, is that we're not seeing a whole bunch of intelligence. We're not seeing a whole bunch of spirituality. But... What I also don't see is a lot of the characteristics he had while he was king. I, I don't see, you know, arrogance. I don't see idolatry. I don't see, you know, I don't see Saul as an evil person now. Well, we'll see some more to indicate his humility, I think, a little later on. I think he was humble at first. We'll talk a little bit about what happened. Good point. Well, uh... So he's, he's coming up to Samuel. How is this going to go? 15 to 27. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. And he shall deliver my people from the hand of Philistines. For I have regarded my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is on my mind, all that is on your mind. And as for your donkeys, which were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's household? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? 
Why then do you speak to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about thirty men. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I gave you, concerning which I said to you, set it aside. Then the cook took up the leg with what was on it and set it before Saul, and Samuel said, Here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat, because it has been kept for you until the appointed time. Since I said, I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place in the city, Samuel spoke to Saul on the roof. And they arose early, and it came about at daybreak, that Samuel called to Saul on the roof, saying, Get up, that I may send you away. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he might go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing now, that I may proclaim the word of God to you. Okay, now, in, in verse 15 and 16, the day before Saul came to Samuel, God talked to Samuel and he said this about this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel etc. Now he meant Saul but did God send Saul? I thought Saul went on his own searching for the lost donkeys and following the suggestion of the servant to ask the prophet. How could God say, I took this time to run, I'm going to send you this man? Does that strike you as a little odd? No. <laughs> okay. So why not? God, God uses... There's many times where he, things happen and he says it was him that caused like nations to overrun other nations and things like that when they thought they were doing it themselves. Yes. God sending doesn't mean Saul has to know God is sending. So how was it that God sent Saul? He made the donkeys get lost. Absolutely. I think you back up and you realize, I wonder why those donkeys wandered off. I suspect the Lord had a hand in that. You see how oftentimes... What happens one day, God may have set in motion way back before that sometimes, you know, millennium before that, you know, where he's working out his plan and his purpose. So, unbeknownst to Saul, God was sending him to Samuel to be anointed as king. And he says, he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. That was the mission. <coughs> Unfortunately, he would not fulfill that mission as well as would have been ideal. And uh, so, uh, when, when Saul got there, Samuel says, or the Lord says to Samuel, this is the guy, the one I told you about yesterday, it's him. And so, Saul comes up to Samuel. This is, this is so interesting. You know, what does Saul know about Samuel? Wouldn't have known anything if it hadn't been for a servant. You know, practically nothing. What does Samuel know about Saul? <laughs> yeah, the Lord's revealed to him all sorts of things about Saul. Even things Saul has no idea of himself. So this is really kind of uh, cool, you know, how this uh, works uh, in that. And so he speaks to Saul. This is uh, 1 Samuel uh, 9, 
verse uh, 20, he said, now listen, uh, don't worry about the donkeys. Uh, they've been fat. Um, in fact, those lost donkeys aren't anything compared with what you're going to get. You're not going to just receive the donkeys back, but all that is desirable in Israel is for you. Why? What would you think? Somebody comes along, some, some seer, some prophet, and says, you know, everything that's desirable in the U.S. is for you, Jonathan. You know, would that, would that kind of take you aback? You know, and what does Saul immediately say? I'm pretty much nothing. I, I don't deserve this stuff. Yeah, I'm a nobody. I mean, I'm... Well, you must have the wrong man, you know? I mean, because he says, I'm, I'm a Benjamin, the smallest of the tribes of Israel. Did you realize Benjamin was the smallest tribe? Why was that? Do you remember? A whole bunch of them got killed in the book of Judges, right? All the men. Yeah, all, well, all except for... 600 men in the end of the book of Judges and then they had to scrimp or scrape around to try to find wives for them. Got 400 wives from James Gillian and then took 200 of them and let them just grab their own wives uh, from the dance at Shiloh. So, uh, Benjamin was the smallest tribe by now and that's a whole other story. You can read the last few chapters of Judges to get all of that. So, he said, and, and really, my family is the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, so why are you saying this to me? Now, think about that. God, of all things, he picked a man from the smallest tribe and from the least family of the smallest tribe to be king. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus, also David. Jesus, David. What does that remind you of anything earlier today? Hannah's song, yeah. Was she talking about God exalts the nobodies and he brings down the somebodies and all that? This is an example here. God, God's going to pick the first king and he gets the guy from the least family of the smallest tribe and that's the man that selected his king. So that's interesting. And uh, I think it's interesting Samuel's attitude toward him. I mean, if you'd have been Samuel, and you're basically picking your successor right here. You know, but you didn't really want to have a successor. You know, I think I might have kicked him on the way past or something. You know, but Samuel seems almost pleased to fulfill this role and to appoint him. You don't see any jealousy in Samuel. Samuel takes him and he gives him the best food and kind of treats him like a king already. And he says, you know, tomorrow I'm going to tell you all this. And, and so he takes him up on on the, the roof uh, uh, to talk to him early the next morning to reveal this special information to him that he is going to be the king. Comments and questions on this stuff in chapter 9? Yes, David. It's interesting to me that uh, God chooses the king that they want, uh, king of the old nations from the tribe of Benjamin, as we mentioned, as the smallest, because of the situation at uh, Gibeah, um, where all the uh, tribes except Benjamin are furious at this uh, raping of the concubine until she's dead. And Benjamin sides with Gibeah 
they're the only tribe, and they side and defend Gibeah. And it's interesting to me that God chooses their king, their first king, from this tribe. Of all the possible 12 tribes he could have picked them from, from Benjamin, the one that, uh, that, that sided with Gibeah in that situation. God always does things that you would not have expected. You can see that all through the Bible. And this may be an illustration of that. The, the, the other tribes don't seem to still have a bad attitude toward Benjamin. In fact, they were concerned about the loss of the tribe and worked out to get the wives and so forth. But yes, it's still a very unusual thing. Other thoughts? Chris? It's, he asked, he didn't know anything about Samuel, yet Samuel told him all about the donkeys he was looking for before he even asked. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's got to be kind of unusual for him to the seer know all this stuff about him and be saying all this stuff about him, I would think this would be kind of spooky almost. Well, you think he, he said tomorrow, you know, you're going to go up with me and do all this, and, and Saul's probably thinking, well, I don't know about all this. And then, but then he says, oh, and by the way, the donkeys you're looking for. Yeah. Kind of a confirmation that, yeah, I'm the real thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because how would he have known about the donkeys? Yeah, good point. God, just so interesting to see how God operates. That makes it cool. I'll leave it. You mentioned uh, earlier about how Saul was pretty much uh, ignorant of spiritual things. It appears to be. And I think that God uses us when we are empty. And he fills us up to, to meet his needs. And, and maybe Saul didn't end up that way, but I think there was a time that Saul does need. Well, one thing you see that's good in Saul right here is that he didn't seem to have a big head. I mean, you know, I suppose there'd be a few guys that you'd say, uh, everything that's desirable in Israel is for you, and they'd say, well, yeah, I kind of was expecting that, you know. <laughs> I'm a pretty good guy, but, but he, he doesn't think that way. I mean, I, I really think he's genuinely humble, not full of himself, really wouldn't think of himself in that role. And so you, you have to appreciate that aspect of him at this point. Do you think it's the situation that he's in that forces him to be humble, though? Since he is of the weakest, of the smallest, of the most insignificant? Well, some of those things would aid your humility. On the other hand, there are some people like that that are still prideful, so... But yes. Sometimes the when it is because of the situation, then when the situation changes, the humility changes. Because it's not so much a principle as a circumstance, and I think that's what we will see. So, Dan. Can you describe to me the balance here? Because certainly God is giving to them the king that they deserve, that they want. But at the same time, you know, Saul, especially in his first few years, is a very good man. And it shows some really positive qualities. Um, so it's not like God's setting Saul up to fail in any means of that. What's the balance there? I don't think so. I mean, I really think the Lord blesses Saul in all sorts of ways. Saul, though, doesn't choose to go the right direction, as a lot of people don't. I mean, there are times when a person is faithful to God, God blesses them, and then they take the blessings and become prideful, like Isaiah. That's not God's fault. That's because they choose to use those blessings to exalt themselves instead of, they could have done the very same, could have taken the same blessings and thanked and glorified God and exalted Him. So I think it's Saul's choice, too. 
the moon still the promise is still to Judah previously, so there is a sense where uh, he would never be the eternal king. Yes. Well, I mean, when it's all said and done, God knows what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean God sets it up to happen that way. God chooses to use those things. I think that's probably a better approach. Uh, <coughs> yeah, that makes me think of Judas. I mean, God knew his heart and his character, but Judas still had a choice. He could have made the right choice. God's will would have been manifested another way if Judas had made the right choice. Yeah, yeah God doesn't force the things that he knows are going to happen. Yeah, I think that's an important principle. Logan? Why do we go from God appointing the king that they deserve in Saul to appointing righteous man after God's own heart to be. Why is there a transition? Well, I mean, God lets them have their kind of king and then shows that that was not a wise move on their part and he then gives them the king that he was wanting to give them all along. <laughs> all right, look at what happens here. We, oh, we, we still are waiting the announcement. We're, we're sort of anticipating it here, but let's hear it. So chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Then Samuel took the flask.